right. Good morning, everybody. It's been a wonderful time worshiping together. And uh, we're going to continue now, uh, starting off a new series, yes, but also reviving one that we have done uh, really the last few years around this time. Uh, each spring, uh, we decide to take a few weeks and see what the Bible has to say about money. Money, money, money. You're like, what are you going to talk about? I got none in my pocket. All right, well, we're going to talk about it. First quarter of the year is uh, just about past. We're, we're through it, through tax season. Uh, we're talking about a lot of transitions, people moving in, summer internships, graduation. We're always talking about bills and how high the rent is in New York City. Amen? And we're saving our pennies to go to the blocks, well, all the blockbuster movies, right? Are you guys looking forward to any of the movies this summer? Who's into Wonder Woman? Who's going to watch Wonder Woman? Yeah, I know people are excited about that. I'm pumped to go. Spider-Man? Any Spider-Man? Yeah? yeah. Despicable Me? <laughs> I knew I'd get some on that one. Pirates is coming out. There's a whole bunch. A whole bunch of new stuff. And uh, some of us are thinking about vacation and travel and camps for kids and uh, church fundraisers and... Of course, here in the church, once a year, we give our special contribution, which we've been talking about for a while and saving up for. So that's why we talk about it. There's a lot of reasons. And the world around us is constantly squawking about money. I mean, you're going to see advice about how to save it, how to spend it on their product. Every time you look at a new commercial, a new ad, a new billboard, new magazine online, everywhere, people are telling you what to do with your money. So we decided that the church is not going to be silent on it. Amen? We're going to talk about money, and Jesus wasn't silent on money. He talked about it indirectly or directly about 80% of the time in his preaching. So we're going to imitate him. Let's uh, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6 in our Bibles. We'll start there. We're talking about being rich and what that means and what the Bible has to say about money. 1 Timothy chapter 6, 17 and 18 reads... Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our what? Our, that's pretty cool right there. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. We'll stop there. Here, Paul's telling Timothy to command the rich, to command them to be generous. And a lot of us are probably going to say, yeah, tell those rich folks to share the wealth with me, right? That's what we say. Hey, keep preaching, Paul. But rich is relative. Rich is relative. The problem is no one actually thinks they're rich. It's all about perspective. And we'll talk about what that means in a few. Uh, the original word for rich uh, here in the Bible is from the original language, the Greek, plesia, which means abundance. And, you know, a few families uh, in the church, even yesterday, we got together and put all our stuff together and we went out and had a little garage sale over on 26th Street. So grateful uh, for the Cranes and Lahia for putting that together. And we made some good money out on the street. It was pretty awesome. You know, we don't have garages, but we have garage sale in Manhattan. And uh, it was great. And, you know, you start thinking, well, wait a minute, abundance. Yeah, we had stuff to sell because we had extra stuff. 
So according to the very strictest definition of this word, we're rich. So if you have stuff to sell, eBay, Craigslist, garage sale, you have an abundance. You have extra. You have more than you need in the essential way of thinking about it. I know you're not convinced, so give me some time, all right? (laughs) Give me some time. Uh, If your household income is about $40,000 a year, household income, everyone in your house adds up, makes about that much a year, you are in the top 4% of the world's wage earners. And if you are, have a household income of $48,000 per year, everyone in your home that makes that money, you're in the top 1% wage earners in the world. So it's perspective, isn't it? Some of us go, no, I have no no money. I'm paycheck to paycheck. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not rich. And there's someone on the other side of the world going, are you kidding me? 40,000? You guys are loaded. So it's really all about perspective. Still not convinced. Give me another minute. Gallup poll asked different level earners what it takes to be rich. And it's funny how it changes because when you ask people who make thirty dollars to $35,000 a year, how, what does it take to be rich? They said 75000 But when you ask people that make 50000 a year, they say to be rich, you got to make 100000 You get where this is going? And then they ask people that make $100,000, well, what do you need to be rich? Aren't you rich? And they're like, no. You need at least $200,000 a year to be rich. And it goes on and on and on. The billionaires do not think they're rich. They say, I need to make more money. It's relative. So if everything is relative, we got to go back to what the scripture says, right? In verse 17, in the verse we read, it says, God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So before anything else about who's rich and who isn't, we'll go down that hole later. Let's get our hearts right about what we have. Amen. Because the Bible says that God has richly provided for us with everything for us to be able to enjoy. Is that easy for us to enjoy what we have? It's not easy. Because oftentimes we're thinking we don't have that much. We see other people that have more and we say, if I have that, then I would enjoy myself. But I have this, so it's difficult for me to be happy. And sometimes we get stuck with leftovers and we're not feeling like we enjoy very much. And you might end up like this guy in one of my favorite films. Sometimes you just got to enjoy leftovers, right? And that's basically the message today. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. Let's start here. And we'll start in the middle of verse 8. As we're talking about money in the Bible. Let's see what the proverbial wisdom has for us. It says, give me neither poverty nor riches. But give me only my daily bread. When's the last time you prayed that prayer? 
Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who's God? Who's the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. All right, let's, let's break this down a little bit. Um, a lot of the Proverbs are by Solomon and his wisdom. This is from the sayings of Agur, the son of Jaqeh, and we know almost nothing about either one of them. All right, you were expecting me to break that down in all the history. Well, I read the history and we don't have much on them. There's all kind of guesses. And all we see in verse one, if you go up in the Proverbs, it says there it's an inspired utterance. All right, so we know this guy uh, said something that was inspired by God. So we look at it as a truism. It points to truth and we see that there is truth in it. So let's break it down. What does he say? He's basically a regular dude saying, I am a struggler. If you give me too much stuff, it's bad. If you give me too little, it's bad. Let me just be honest with the Lord here. An example of that, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 10 through 18, and I'll just give you a few snippets of it here on the screen. But basically, in Deuteronomy, the law is saying, well, when you're satisfied, praise the Lord your God. Okay, so if you're, if you're eating a meal, you're satisfied, or you make some money, or you're doing okay, or in that moment you feel good, thank the Lord, praise God. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then what's going to happen? Well, your heart will become proud. And you'll forget the Lord your God. You'll say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. It's crazy how quickly we can forget God. You know, when my family and I moved from Los Angeles to New York about seven years ago, we were shocked at how expensive everything was. Okay, for anyone who is not raised in New York, raise your hand. You're here today. Okay, a lot of us, all right, been transported. Raise your hands again if you were shocked at how th expensive things were. Pretty much every hand went up, and if they weren't, they must have been doing their homework, or they knew somebody. It's kind of crazy. Everyone goes, ah, oh, it's similar to L.A., right? L.A. and New York. No, it's not. Things are twice as expensive here, and moving twice as fast. So we were a little shocked, even though we thought we did our homework. And, you know, I, I searched for apartments and this and that, and I saw the, the prices, and, you know, I was, wow. But then we got here, none of those prices were true. They were all raised several more hundred dollars than what they were on online. Oh, that was an old price. So we came in and, and we were trying to figure it out and uh, going through some struggles financially and praying for God to open up a door. And he provided for us a miracle apartment. And many of you have heard this story before. I won't repeat it again, but it was absolutely miraculous. And uh, us in the halls were able to move into this miracle building close to here. Uh, God really provided. And it was bigger, nicer, and so much cheaper than what we were paying for earlier. And, uh, you know, a few years have gone by since that miracle. And when people ask me the story, it's very easy for me to talk about the things we did. You know, the, the .gov website and lottery housing and the paperwork and the interviews. And then my wife comes along, who was pretty much the one that did all the work anyways, and goes, it was God. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, what she said. That's what I was just leading up to that. 
We get something good and quickly we can forget that God was the reason for why it happened in the first place. That he opened up an opportunity. He gave you the skill to be able to be in that position for the promotion or for the job or for the transfer, for whatever successes that we experience. That's what it says in the scripture. He's given us everything for us to be able to enjoy. So we got to give him the credit for that. It was God. You know, later in Nacho Libre, (laughs) Nacho is comforting young orphan Pablo who just can't stand the beans any longer. He says, can't we just have like a salad or something? (laughs) And Nacho says, be grateful. You know, look, sometimes it's beans for dinner again for us in New York City, all right? And I believe that in those times, God is challenging us to be grateful for beans. Are you grateful for what you got today? Are you grateful for what you have? All right, I'm talking spiritually, emotionally, relationship, materially. Are you grateful? Can you say, God, thank you for what I have? You know what? Let's all take a turn. I want you to think about two things. I want you to share with someone you're sitting next to two things you're grateful for right now. Let's all just share a little moment here. Two things. Search your minds. I'm grateful. All right. No, I didn't say three or four. You guys are going off now. You guys are having way too much fun with this. All right, let's bring it back. It's always a risk unleashing the conversations with this crew. You guys, you guys love it. I love it. All right. So hopefully it was easy to think of something. If not, okay, let's, let's think, wow, God has given me so much. And I wonder even in my own life, do I spend more time thanking God for what I have in prayer or do I spend more time asking God for things I don't have? You know, it's a great practice sometimes just to pray a prayer of gratitude. I'm saying ask for nothing. Challenge yourself. Maybe this week, next couple of days, I'm going to spend my whole time in prayer just about the things I'm grateful for, just about the things that God has given me. It starts in our heart, our gratitude for our daily bread, for our daily beans. To say, don't give me too much or else I might forgive you, but then forget you. And then there's another side of this. Don't give me too little, right? We're used to that prayer. Don't give me too little or I might get desperate and resort to thieving. All right. And there's a scripture in Isaiah eight that talks about this idea. There's this distressed and hungry people. It says they'll roam through the land and when they're famished, they'll become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Man, when circumstances get dire and desperate, our spiritual lives can be threatened. It's tough. Tough times challenge our faith. There's a journal of organizational behavior and human decision processes. And there they did a study on linking the feeling of being deprived financially and going out and stealing. 
And what they found out is there is actually quite a huge link of not just being poor, but feeling poor or feeling deprived of some financial opportunity and then going and committing a crime of theft. The study found people justified everything from taking paper or stapler or things from the office to embezzling and even sabotaging things in the office like deleting sensitive files from computers. There are all sorts of different things that people have justified in their mind. You know what? I was prevented from an opportunity or I had something taken away or I'm not in a situation where I can get it from my, uh, where someone's given it to me, so I'm going to take it. And it was interesting. I came across one example uh, in an article about two gentlemen that were so broke they decided to rob their pastor. And uh, the article reads, two men who robbed the pastor of a Kansas City church at gunpoint left behind two clues for the cops to check out their names. The Reverend Tony Caldwell was short of cash, so he offered to write each man a check for $150. The man agreed, making certain the pastor knew the correct spellings of their names. Now, there are a lot of lessons to be learned here, but there are two in particular that I want to point out. And they both have to do with reasons why you shouldn't rob your pastor. The first one is they got no money. The second one is the Lord's going to make sure that the authorities find out who you are. So don't rob your pastor. That's just a freebie for you to think about. But when circumstances are desperate, it can challenge our convictions. Seriously. And something that happens is our morality becomes movable. Even though morals are supposed to be immovable, they're supposed to be True regardless of circumstance, certainly all of us have been in a situation where we feel that temptation or desperation turns into temptation and we're right up against the challenge to our, the very core of our faith. Now, I remember stealing as a kid. You know, I, I didn't have the money like my friends did and I, I was very jealous of them as they would be able to go to 7-Eleven and buy things and I couldn't. And, you know, I knew it was wrong to steal, but... Honestly, I stole out of bitterness. I stole and I justified my actions. I said, life didn't give it to me, so I'm going to take it. And I got really good at stuffing little things into my pockets and playing innocent as I walked out the door. Now, I was 10 years old, but this can easily be an adult thought. Life hasn't given it to me. God hasn't given it to me. There's an opportunity. I can get away with it. I'm going to do it. And we have to ask ourselves, where are we at on that spectrum? Spiritually compromising our morality becomes movable and circumstantial because of the situation that we're in. I believe Satan tries to find our breaking point. He tries to find our price point to break our moral code. How much money do I have to tempt them with or take away from them to get them into sin? And so Augur says in Proverbs chapter 30, help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Don't give me too much, but don't give me too little either. Amen? There's a story about an architect in New York named Costas Condillas. I shared about him before years ago, but I find his story fascinating. He's a very well-known architect. Maybe you've heard of him, maybe you haven't, but he has developed so many different uh, buildings in New York, the Adelier, the Alden, Riverside South, Silver Towers, pretty much all the Trump buildings and has had a more profound impact on the New York skyline than anybody. It's not even close. 
He's designed 86 buildings in the city. And they did a big documentary on him a few years back and asked him about his life and his accomplishments. I think he's almost 80 years old now. Lives on the Upper East Side. And one of the things he said stuck out to me. He said, in my life, I dedicated myself to raising buildings. I wish I could go back and put time into raising my family. And what you see there is a truth that crosses circumstance. And that is when we put all of our energy and time into something material, into something that's going to end, and not into the eternal, and not into God, and not into relationships and love, there'll be regret at the end. And no matter how much we accomplish, we won't accomplish the greatest success, which is being right in a relationship with the Lord. Now, when we do what Giovanni talked about earlier and put God first, sky's the limit. I believe God wants to bless us in all different kinds of ways. Sometimes that includes material blessing. And don't get it twisted, though. Sometimes material can be a curse. We're going to talk about that in the next couple of weeks. But sometimes that is material blessing. And we've got to be ready to be able to handle that spiritually. I believe it's easy to fall victim to the traps of wealth. I don't think wealth is wrong in and of itself, but our hearts go to extremes very quickly. And we lose sight of what God has done for us when there's so much we can be grateful for. We just tapped the surface of it a few minutes ago. Two things, 20 things, 200 things that God has given us in so many different ways. If we want to be rich in this life, rich in generosity, rich in being able to give to God, rich like God was as he gave to others, then we've got to be content and enjoy what God has given us already. And we're going to close out in Philippians chapter 4. The singers are going to come back up. But it says here, one of my favorite passages of scripture in the middle of verse 11, I have learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. May we all enjoy, may we all be content, and may we all be rich. Let's stand up and sing one final song.